Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'm way back here in the monitor sound, so... Okay, good. Thanks, Cliff. And thanks, Alex, for putting that together. Uh, one of the things that Alex did when he was uh, down at the Southeast Asia Grace Conference last spring is he interviewed all of our missionaries and took videos like that. So we'll be showing you a few more. Uh, coming up in, in October, we actually, Missions Conference is going to start on Saturday the 13th, is it? The 13th is the Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, October 13th. But actually... Our missions conference starts even sooner than that because on October 7th, uh, we are going to hear from our youth who went and Pastor Kevin, who went on the Excite mission trip. They're going to be sharing with us in the Sunday morning service, October 7th. And then uh, in the evening of October 7th, um, Alex and Rachel and I are going to share. We shared a little bit back in the spring about our trip to Southeast Asia. We're going to share a little bit more, specifically share more details about the fields that are ha- that are down there. Uh, the the missionaries that we just saw, they were the churches and the missionaries in the in Cambodia, which we visited. Uh, but Alex was able to get videos and interviews with a lot more other uh, churches, and and we're going to have a chance to hear about what's happening in some of those other countries as well. So that's going to be happening during the evening service of October seventh at six o'clock, and then. Uh, our missions conference is going to start in full swing on Saturday, October 13th, and we'll we'll go through that full week. So, a couple things for you to be aware of as that's happening. Uh, plan to come to as many of those events as you can. I think it says in your bulletin, if you are able to to house a missionary or missionary family, we are going to need housing for the missionaries that are here that week. Um, and also, if on Tuesday night of missions conference, which would be the 16th. Uh, we typically we do this where uh, if you would like to, you can have a missionary come and have a meal in your home and you maybe invite a friend or somebody else that you might want to just a chance to interact more personally with the missionaries. And so we'd love to have you sign up for that. You can contact Teresa Shamaria if you would like to sign up to help with any of those things, housing or or just hosting for a meal. Teresa's not here today, but she'll be back on Wednesday or Thursday, we decided we don't know which, but she'll be back this week um, with when Pastor Jim returns from Michigan. So, um, all those things. Okay, so good. I think. I, all right. Uh, open your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 16. I think I covered everything that I was supposed to cover. Um, and if I didn't, well, nobody knows except for me. Okay, First Samuel 16. How many of you um, played kickball as a child? Oh, good. Team sports in general. But I, I specifically remember kickball as a kid. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that happens when you play kickball, how do, what needs to happen before you are able to play a game of kickball? You have to choose teams, right? And this is always a high-stress moment for any child in their life because uh, maybe if you're one of the better players, you're the captain, and then you get to be the person choosing teams. Uh, but... The rest of us are are sitting there on the in the line. Whose team do I get to be on? And the and the stress. I was always as a kid. We uh, my dad had us playing baseball and basketball and sports and things like that. So I was I was 
fairly athletic, but I was never, I was, uh, I had a September birthday and I started kindergarten uh, early and I was right before I turned five. So I was always one of the youngest kids in my class. And so even though I did okay playing, I was still smaller than everyone. And so I was never, was never picked first, which is what you want, right? If you're not picking, picking teams yourself, you want to be picked first. That makes you feel really good. But I was never really picked last either. I was re- always kind of right in the middle, which is okay. You're hoping you get picked. Maybe your friend is picking teams and you want to be on your friend's team. But it's a high-stress situation, is it not? For some of you are sitting there thinking back and, and your palms are getting sweaty just thinking about this. Um, so this is, this is, and then uh, when I was 10, my family moved to Bolivia. Uh, they don't play kickball in Bolivia, at least not usually, but they do kick balls. They play soccer. Um, but it's a whole different skill set, kickball versus soccer. You have to be able to control what you're doing a little bit more in soccer than just wailing it as far as you can go. Um, and, and I was not very good <laughs> at soccer compared to these kids who have been growing up playing it all the time. And so what happened is I go, I, when we would pick teams for soccer in Bolivia, uh, I moved from middle of the pack to the end of the pack. Uh, and, and usually they pick the American kid and they put him in goal um, because one thing that Americans have done well is they figured out how to play sports with their hands. And if you grow up playing soccer, you don't use your hands. And so that was something that I was good at. But I was always kind of pick last and put in the goal. And, and uh, Or there's sometimes where maybe you, you have this experience where you can think back into your childhood where you're not picked last, but you know you're not getting picked last because they don't want you to feel bad that you're not getting picked last. <laughs> Right. And so it's like it's down to like four kids and you're like, okay, I'll take him. You know, it's like uh, you they you've had this experience, right? I'm not the only one. Yeah. And so you you, and everybody knows like you have a sense like, well, he's going to get picked last. But, you know, Um, so so um, there's something about right. There's something about that, even as we reflect back on just kids games. Uh, there's something that feels good about being chosen, isn't it? Like when when you are chosen first, you're all on the same team, but there's something about that that feels, I mean, you, you remember that. And there's something about not being chosen as well, right? That feels disappointing, sad, like we we know when we're not chosen. And there's something in us that that responds to that uh, that sense of being chosen or not chosen. So in First Samuel chapter 16, we have a story of someone that's chosen. We're not going to read a whole lot of this. We've been uh, we're starting a series for those of you that this is your first time with us this fall. Uh, we're starting a series working through the life of David during our Sunday school hour, and and we, that meets from 9:30 to 10:30, and we're going to be looking specifically at some stories. Our, our morning service is going to be connected to that a little bit. So we're not, we looked at 1 Samuel 16 and 17 this morning, uh, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but just to, to catch you up, those of you that weren't in Sunday school, just a couple things here. Uh, chapter 17 is the story of David and Goliath, which I think is probably familiar to, to most people, if not everyone. Um, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's a story in which Saul has been rejected as king. 
And God comes to Samuel, the prophet, and says, go to Jesse's household and I'm going to select, I'm, I'm going to anoint, you're going to anoint a new king for me. And so, so Samuel goes and he shows up and, and we'll pick up just in verse 6. Jesse has, has a bunch of sons. And, and they show up in verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely this is the guy that God has chosen. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then the story continues that the rest of Jesse's sons come by. There's uh, six more of them, so a total of seven pass by. None of them are the one that God has chosen to be king. And Samuel is kind of like, What's going on here? Do you have any more sons? And they said, Oh, yeah. There's David. He's out in the field watching the sheep. We didn't invite him to the, to the party. Um, and so Jesse, Samuel says, go get him, bring him in. And as soon as he comes in, God says, Here's, get up, anoint him. Here's the one that I've chosen to be, to be king. So this is the story of David. A couple of things that I want to point out here as, as we start into this story and then we, we move into this. Uh, in verse 6, when Samuel sees David's oldest brother, and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. There's, there's, the word here, anointed, is a word that's probably familiar to, to most of you in the Hebrew. It's the word where we get, the, we get Messiah. The Messiah means anointed one. And so when, when Samuel is sent to anoint a king, the we obviously have connotations of what the Messiah was eventually going to be for the people of Israel and what that word is, but the, the, the word itself just means anointed one. And so when Samuel sees him, he says, surely this is the Lord's Messiah. Surely this is the Lord's anointed one. This is the chosen one. This is the one that God chooses. And of course we're told, no, it's not. He's the one that we would have naturally picked first on the team, right? We're lined up for teams. Eliab is, of all the, all the brothers, he's the tall, he's the strongest, he's the one that's going to kick the ball the farthest or whatever. He's, he's the one that we had chosen and God says no. And he, he says, we're not looking at just the physical appearance, but we're looking for what the heart, and this is what God is, is choosing. And so it goes down the line and David is chosen. Now turn your Bibles to um, to. First John, chapter 2. We know this word Messiah, as I, as I mentioned, this word Messiah takes on new connotation towards the end of the Old Testament as the people of Israel are sent into exile and eventually brought back out of exile. But there's this tension of we're, we're back in the land, but we're still being controlled by these foreign armies. And as the New Testament begins, there's this sense, there's this expectation of this waiting for a Messiah, this anointed one from God who's going to come and free the people Israel. There's this expectation that this Messiah, and, and we know from, from our reading of Scripture, not everybody knows this obviously, but we believe that this Messiah, this anointed one, was this man Jesus of Nazareth. This man who came and, and lived, uh, worked miracles, taught the people about God, taught the people how 
to, to love one another and, and do all these things. And, and eventually he comes in a confrontation with, with the leadership of the nation of Israel. Here is the anointed one, the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of David, who was chosen as well, who's come and is confronted with the leadership of Israel and they don't want to have anything to do with him and they kill him. He's crucified on a Roman cross, but the story as we have it in our scripture, we're told, three days later he rises again. And the story of Jesus of Nazareth, who came, uh, God's anointed one, who came in love for the world, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again is, is the story of the gospel. It's the story of, really the story of all of Scripture, specifically the story of the New Testament. But this is what the term Messiah, then when we hear this word Messiah, this is what we think of, isn't it? This is the, this is the idea of the chosen one, the anointed one. The word, uh, the word Christ, Christos in the Greek, is, also means anointed one. So as you're reading through Scripture and you hear this word Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One. And it becomes really a, a name that we have for him, Jesus Christ. But originally, and you see, because the, the New Testament was written in Greek, you'll see this word show up, are you the Christ? When the people in the New Testament are asking Jesus, are you the Christ, or who is the Christ, and they're wondering, it's the same word, are you the Messiah? And so some of your newer translations might actually change that Greek word Christos into Messiah for the sake of continuity and for your understanding. Okay, so all this background to to understand what this word is and and what is going on here. Now, 1 John chapter 2. John is writing, he's a a Christian uh, pastor who uh, was a disciple of Jesus and uh, and now is it, we believe based on church history that when he's writing this he's very old it's probably about 90 A.D. so a lot of time has passed since Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension and the beginning of this this church body that has been starting in the Roman world and in in First John chapter two verse twenty John says this to his congregation he says but you have an anointing. From the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. And then later on in verse uh, 26, verse 27 rather, he says, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as, as it has taught you, remain in him. This word that John uses, um, you probably have guessed it, is the same word in the Greek, Christos. It's a derivative of that because it's you have, so it's a verb form of it. But it's, this, it's the same idea that you have this anointing. This consecration is the word that we use today in, in our Sunday school class of, of being prepared um, set apart. This you, John says to his church, are God's chosen ones. He chose you. And Paul says this also, in, if you turn back uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is, this is language that gets used throughout uh, the New Testament, this idea of you and I 
are anointed, chosen. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. God has chosen you. You're lining up for teams. God chooses you. And there's something about that, I don't know, um, there's something about that uh, idea that is, is comforting, right? There's, again, as we talked early on, there's something about being chosen, right? There's a little bit about that as, as you read that. It was like, well, yeah, but God chooses everyone, so maybe it's not quite as special. Or God chooses, you know. Um, but it's still, the God of the universe, the creator, the one who sent Samuel to David and said, this is the one that I choose to be king over Israel. The God who sent his son, Jesus, declaring him to be the Messiah, the anointed one, says that you, too, are anointed. You, too, are anointed ones. That this God wants you on his team. And one of the fundamental truths of the gospel is that that no matter whether you you who know your abilities believe it or not want to accept it or not God is choosing you you may not feel and see yourselves to be worthy of God's choice but the story of the gospel is that God has made you worthy Uh, earlier in First John, he says that, that the way in which this happens is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he came to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That anything that we might feel or know about ourselves that disqualifies us from our worthiness to be chosen by God, to be anointed by God, that through the work of Jesus Christ, that has been redeemed. That has been wiped out. And you and I are chosen by God. I want you to just pause and reflect on what what it feels like to be chosen. I don't know about you, but like I said, it's sort of can feel like this thing where like, yeah, but he kind of has to choose everybody because he's God and that's what he did. And so, but that that is, is something within me, my tendency uh, to know and to find excuses when I am chosen. Well, yeah, you sort of have to, like, there's something about me that uh, I know is it, hard for me to accept being chosen. And maybe that's true for you too, but 
And so I want to emphasize, I can't say this enough, you have been anointed, chosen by God. And it doesn't matter how much you might feel unworthy of that today. Um, God wants you on his team. When God anoints David, and he chooses him, he does it for a purpose. Right? David is anointed specifically to be king of Israel. None of us are chosen for that purpose. I don't think any of you are going to be the next king of Israel. Uh, but then David has has work to do, right? It's not as though David is anointed king and then immediately assumes the throne and peace reigns over the land of Israel and everyone just accepts that about him, right? And we're going to be looking at this through the next several weeks as we move through the story of, of David, that this choosing came with it all kinds of struggles and trials and difficulties. And the story of David really is about wrestling with what does it mean to be chosen? And how do you respond to that? And what does it look like to step out in faith and to respond to what God has already said is true about you in, in your life? And, and how do you make those choices? And what kind of decisions do you, do you make as you respond to what God has done? But very quickly, what we looked at this morning in, um, in 1 Samuel, the, the very, one of the very next things that we are told about David is the story of David and Goliath. And we won't look at this story because we looked at it this morning already. And, and as I said, you're probably familiar with it. If you're not, uh, go read it. It's a, it's a great story. But uh, David is chosen for a purpose. And what if David knows that he's been anointed by Samuel as king. He knows that he has a responsibility before God and before his nation, that he's, he's in training for this to, to, to some degree, that God has chosen him. And he shows up to the, to the battle lines, where the Philistines and the Israelites have been facing off for 40 days. And he shows up and he hears Goliath standing out in the middle of the field, challenging the nation of Israel to send forth a fighter who will fight against him. And he's challenging and he's shaming and defying the, the army of Israel. But more than that, he's defying the God of Israel who has chosen him. And what if David shows up on this field... He's bringing his bread and cheese for his brothers. He's bringing stuff for the army. And he shows up and he hears Goliath for the first time. And he says, huh, that's a bummer. And then he heads back home to tend the sheep. What would happen? Pretty pretty disappointing story, right? Like that's kind of a different way to, to tell it. But... But he does it, right? We know the story because he hears it and he responds. And he re- we talked about this morning. He responds from a place of faith in God. He responds from a place of understanding of who he is and who God is and who God 
has called him to be, and he hears what Goliath is saying about his God, and he does something about it. And he, he, he starts talking to people, like, what's going to be done about this? And he gets brought before Saul, and, and Saul's like, you can't do this. And he says, sure I can. Let's go for it. And so they, they arm him for battle, and, and he says, I don't want that armor. He's, I got enough right here. And he goes out and runs at Goliath and strikes him down. And the Israelites are victorious. They, they've conquered the Philistines. Because this is what David has been called to do, is it not? The king of Israel was meant to be the one to lead the people into battle. And the king of Israel, Saul, is not doing it. But the king of Israel, David, does it. And he leads the people and the people are victorious and God has, has chosen David and David understands his purpose and he, and he fulfills it. He lives into it and he, he wins the battle. Which begs the question for you and I who have been chosen today, the ones who have been called by God and anointed by God with his Holy Spirit, sealed with his Holy Spirit is what Paul says. What are we called to do? What is it that God has anointed us for? The scripture is, is full of examples, but since we're in 2 Corinthians, if, if you're there still, um, it's full of stories and, and instructions for what that means. But uh, again, just because we're here, the, to me this is one of the most concise explanations and stories. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, because sometimes we skip over verse 16, and I think this one is, is, is pretty key. So from now on, Paul says to this Corinthian church, says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ, Messiah, in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is in this Messiah, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the time, in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Verse 16, Paul says, because, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's going on before this, but... Um, to sum it up for our, for our purposes today, because we have been chosen, because of the work of God in our lives, because of his faithfulness, because of his plans, because, in verse 14 it says, because Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. That because we understand this gospel message, Paul says, we have 
a ministry, a responsibility, a calling to be people of reconciliation. And he says this in verse 16, he says, we now know, uh, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We talked a couple weeks ago about, uh, we were looking at Romans chapter 12, about this idea of being transformed in the renewing of our minds and, and the way that we have to retrain our minds, retrain our, our thought process and, and our practice towards the things that God would have of us, towards, towards God's will. And this is one of those things that we're talking about, that we begin to see the world and we begin to see one another within the church, outside of the church, and not from a worldly point of view. But we begin to see them as God sees them. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Don't look at the outward appearance. People look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We are chosen to be people who see the world and see individuals in the world as people who are valuable and loved by God. People for whom uh, this anointed one came into the world because he loved it so much. He sent this anointed one into the world so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Not just so that you and I in this room, chosen by God, can feel really good about ourselves and have eternal life and just kind of sit and wait until it happens. But we have been chosen to see the world and to see individuals and the people around us, no matter how depraved their lives may seem, no matter how... Uh, wonderful they might seem, no matter how dirty and filthy they might seem, we are called to see them not from a worldly point of view, but to see them for how God sees them. People who he loves, who he sent his chosen anointed one to die for. We, as Christians, right, that's... Christ is in the anointed ones, are anointed with, with not the same task that Christ has, but to carry on the task that Christ has, to proclaim the work of Christ, to proclaim that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is for the world, not for us. It is for us, too, but it's not just for us. And sometimes we have a tendency, and I'm not... I'm not saying we meaning you. I'm saying we meaning myself and you, I, I believe. Uh, we have a tendency uh, to sort of enjoy the fact that we're chosen and not really spend a whole lot of time worrying about anyone else. It makes us feel good to be chosen, Right? But when we're chosen even for a kickball team, if you're chosen for kickball, then you just sit on the bench the whole time because, you know, I don't want to hurt my legs. Um, what's the point, right? If you're chosen by God to be king of Israel, then you go out and you fight the battles. And you do the things that the king is supposed to do. If you're chosen by God 
to be his ambassadors. They're chosen by God to be the ones who bear witness to the work of Christ in the world. Then we do it. We do it in small ways with the choices that we make of, of uh, even every little decision that we can make of how we're going to raise our kids. Those are not little decisions, but uh, what kind of food we're going to buy at the store is a decision that matters if we have an understanding of who God is in the world. How we're going to interact with the person selling us that food is going to matter. Even if they're a little slow at doing their job and they let the person in front of us with 17 items go through the 12 item express lane. Like, it's a silly example, but it matters, right? The way that we respond to the, the, the children around us, whether they're our kids or other people's kids, the way that we choose to interact with them matters. Do we communicate as a church, to the kids, I think, I think we do a pretty good job of this, but just as a reminder, what kind of picture of God do our children receive through the way that we interact with them? I mean, kids, they're learning about God, not just through the lessons that we teach them, but through the things that we say and do around them. Right? Those of you that were kids know that and have experienced that. Do our children hear a message of a God who doesn't look at the outward appearance but looks at the heart? Do we elevate the weak among us? Do we help them see that they have value and worth right just as they are? Do we help those around us in this room Understand that they have value and worth just as they are. That God is not waiting for you to get your act together before he's going to choose you and send you to a task, but that he's already done it. Are we communicating that? I mean, we again, we can know that intellectually, right? But everything in us, I mean, the words that God speaks to Samuel... Even for those of we said this in Sunday school this morning, even though for those of us that know that story so well, we still are looking at the outward appearance, aren't we? Most of the time. In the ways that we choose our friends, the ways that we choose our relationships, the, the people that we look to to respect and value. Are we communicating to one another, proclaiming a God who chooses even when you are at your weakest? a God who loves, a God who pursues, a God who is desiring reconciliation for all people? Or do we still regard people with a worldly point of view, as Paul says? I mean, the reality is most of us, yeah, we we do. I know I do for the most part. But what we're invited to, what we're what we're what I hope for you to see this morning for us to walk out from here today is this challenge to begin maybe it's just one person in your life that as as we've been talking 
uh, you have that one person that's like, oh, yeah, I'm always kind of judging them and looking for them to offer a little bit more before I'm willing. Maybe it's just one person that you can say, what would it look like for me to see that person as God sees them and to change a little bit of my behavior towards them today, tomorrow? What would it be look like? What would it look like for me? Um, or maybe, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe what you're still wrestling with is, can God really choose me? Uh, the story of Scripture is that yes, He can and He has. He does. My hope for you this morning is that you can know deep within your soul that you are chosen by God. But that you take that then, that that knowledge, that confirmation, and you move into the world with confidence. We talked this morning in Sunday school that David steps out onto the battlefield and he runs towards Goliath, ready to attack. May you step into the world as someone who is chosen by God, running with the knowledge of God's goodness and grace for the world. Carrying that message to those who need it the most, which is all of us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, this truth. Uh, We... Each of us know um, know our own weaknesses and our own struggles. God, you know them more so than we do, and yet you, uh, in your grace and your mercy and your wisdom, have have called us and chosen us and anointed us. Uh, it is uh, humbling and uh, and difficult to accept many times. May we hear those words today. May we, may we allow them to rest in us that you have chosen us. May we not sit on that choosing, but may we then in turn be people who carry out the task for which you have called us. May we move from this place into the world uh, proclaiming your love and your grace regarding no one from a worldly point of view but acting as ambassadors of reconciliation in our world. Amen. Would you please stand with us for our final song this morning? I lift my eyes up. Um, you've been chosen but as we just saying, uh, you are not chosen to do a task alone. Uh, God does not send you out and say, okay, go for it. Uh, The the story of David is that he's anointed and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. The story of our anointing that Paul talks about is that we too have been anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit to move on in this world. So as you go out into the world as little messiahs, little anointed ones moving into God's world. May you know that this anointing uh, 
comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. And may you proclaim his name faithfully wherever you find yourself this week. Go in peace.